0: It's 8 30 Mountain Time, 10 30 Eastern. Thanks for joining us. If you're live on Real Talk this morning, a good Wednesday morning to you. Ryan Jesperson here with you. Samuel G. Brooks, our technical producer, rocking and rolling good early out of the morning. gates. How are you doing this morning? I'm
1: doing all right. Feeling good? Yeah, I'm feeling really refreshed today. I'm
0: refreshed?
1: I don't know. I don't know why I just kind of have that refreshed demeanor today. I don't know. It's I would
0: just... say you look refreshed, but you always look fresh.
1: I mean like showering is like I, I highly
0: recommend thank you for you that know? yeah we all appreciate it All right, no problem yeah I mean we you know we partner with with clean air club and we do what we can to filter out the air here but still we appreciate when team members shower oh that's good yeah you have some nice candles for the office too just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah.
1: Speaking, of, speaking of things smelling nice and we fresh do. check like, it yeah. out
0: yeah we're, we've got a I'm not even going to show the brand they can pay for it if they want the brand shown but <laughs> Yeah, we're burning candles. Fishing this for a candle sponsor? Well, I, <laughs> a candle sponsor. Well, that, you got to be careful. We already we already flirt with sponsorships that that are dangerous. Like, uh, I mean, Bitcoin. Well, technically, is is entitled to the first sponsor mention of the day. So we've already mm, broken We've okay. already broken protocol by mentioning Clean Air. Club. Adam's gonna get a. We're gonna get a mean call from Adam. <laughs> we're gonna get a mean call. Um, but I will say there are some dangerous uh, partnerships you can have. Dairy Queen would be one of them. Uh, Michael from Dairy Queen was in the other day and said we'd like to sponsor a freezer to have in the Real Talk studio. Um, we like, immediately- I love and hate that idea. I love the idea, but it's Loved, a terrible yeah. idea. Oh, yeah. It's an absolutely terrible idea. You would be able to watch my evolution over <laughs> over the next couple of years uh, into, uh, well, it, let me just say it would become very apparent that we had a Dairy Queen sponsorship and that there was a freezer eight feet from my from my chair. So so we're not going to do that. A candle sponsorship might be equally as dangerous because you'd turn into the, uh, you, you know, if, like, let, let me give you an example. People that, you know, I remember as a young man when I got my first bottle of cologne, and I, and I invested, it was a big expenditure for me It was very expensive at the time
1: yeah. So uh, you want
0: to wear it It was Calvin Klein Eternity Ooh. Yes, and if I remember correctly, it was like I think about $60 at the time, which was which was well, a lot. Cologne ain't cheap. No, cologne ain't cheap. Um, you can find cheap cologne and you will also learn other lessons in life. If you start wearing <laughs> cheap cologne, you'll learn other lessons. Uh, the lesson that I learned was that just because you can no longer smell your cologne doesn't mean that other people can't smell your cologne. And so I would apply the Calvin Klein eternity. I would go out 10, 15 minutes later. Couldn't smell it anymore. I would apply more. I would apply more until finally my, my well-meaning older cousin uh, Courtney pulled me aside once and said, hey, like your colognes, like we were at a family gathering. She said, it's like, really, it's, it's quite strong. And, I, and that, was, that was a life lesson I learned. If we had a candle sponsor, I suspect it may become overwhelmingly aromatic in here. It's
1: gonna be very uh, like a. It's gonna be like walking into the room after somebody's taken a bath with like you know (laughs) scented candles and and uh, no one will expect bath salts and and uh, and beautiful oils and all that kind of stuff. No one will expect it from us. Exactly. It's It's great. great. It's the way that we uh, we disguise the studio. Nobody knows where we are because they can't smell us.
0: Uh, We we have a panel like ready to go right now, and they're going. They're they're sitting here in the bullpen going. We were under the impression that they're chiming in from Ontario this morning, Ryerson University. They're going to be going. We were under the impression that this was a serious radio show. That this was a we're a, not a legitimately serious program. And here these, you know these these yahoos are talking about candle sponsors out of the gates. Here uh, we're going to get to the and it's a, as a matter of fact very serious content. It's, it's going to be kind of a serious show today. In fact, we're we're going to talk about racism. Uh, we're going to talk about grace. Uh, In other words, how we treat our homeless population You may have heard a story that is not a good look On the Edmonton Police Service And for that matter, the city of Edmonton Uh, We're going to talk to Blake Desjardins From the uh, Métis Settlements General Council I've been looking forward to having Blake on the show for a long time And uh, and out of the gates here We're talking about whistleblower protection So just another light day on Real Talk Talking about pithy, you know Fluffy subject matter, everybody Uh, In all seriousness, get ready to sink your teeth in uh, in just a minute and we'll be keeping an eye on our hashtag #RealTalkRJ. rj we're also going to be keeping an eye on our live chat this morning but first of course let me remind you that our presenting sponsor proudly is bitcoin well and of course they're keeping an eye on how can you not keep an eye on crypto these days uh it's uh, it's a big start to 2021 for crypto adam o'brien the ceo joined us last week to talk about why he thinks that is we talked about Wall Street investor confidence. We're going to dig a little bit more into our Why Station question of the week from last week as well. Specifically, I want to get into what you told us, how you feel about crypto and, and managing your own investments, too. It was interesting. Fewer real talkers than you might think are stepping outside of the big banks. I was a little surprised. If you're interested in learning more about Bitcoin, there's no better place to go than Bitcoin. Well, you can find them under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com.
2: talk starts right now here's ryan jesperson
0: well just a few days ago in post media papers the edmonton journal in particular we saw an opinion piece alberta whistleblowers need better protection it describes canada uh, a nation known internationally quote as the titanic of whistleblower protection that's not a good thing Overblown claims followed by disaster, writes the author of the piece. Astonishingly, Alberta has slavishly followed Ottawa's lead and passed a law that closely resembles the federal law. It does not protect whistleblowers from reprisals. It rarely detects or fixes wrongdoing of any consequence. It's toothless and useless. Well, the author of that piece joining us, uh, and I'm very excited to check in uh, with David Hutton, And a couple of his colleagues here joining us live this morning, uh, David, a senior fellow with the Center for Free Expression at Ryerson University. He's worked in the field of whistleblower protection for more than 15 years, including running a whistleblowing charity where he operated a helpline that served more than 400 whistleblowers. Also joined this morning by James Turk, the director of the Center for Free Expression at Ryerson University. And Ian Braun, Ian, is a former whistleblower in the federal government and a senior fellow at the Center for Free Expression. He's been assisting other whistleblowers for more than a decade and is researching exactly that at Carleton University in Ottawa. Gentlemen, welcome to the program, and thanks for making time for us this morning. Good morning, Ryan. I want to encourage the three of you to to jump in and and, and build off what each other says. Don't be shy. Don't wait for me to address you. David, why don't we start with you? You say Alberta whistleblowers need better protection, and, and now's the time. The government's taking a look at it. Can you bring our viewers, our listeners, up to speed this morning? Sure. Well,
3: what's going on right now is that there's a committee is examining the Alberta law. It's a legal requirement that it be reviewed every so often. And um, we've presented to that committee, uh, so have others. And uh, right just now, the committee members are looking at really two parallel universities where the commissioner is telling them that everything is really in pretty good shape. A little bit of tweaking would make things better, but that's all. And we're telling them, as you just read out, this is a, a completely ineffective law. It's not protecting anyone. And in fact, the evidence is that a lot of people are suffering reprisals and this affects their health and the, the safety and the well-being of potentially every Albertan.
0: James, when we when we talk about whistleblowing and where legislation falls short, if you're able to, I mean, we, we have people tuning in from across Canada, of course. So let's talk about the federal law. But but let's hone in on Alberta right now. Where would you say the existing legislation falls short?
4: Well, before we get into that, Ryan, what I'd, what I'd really like to address is, is what this means for Albertans. Uh, Ian Braun, our colleague Ian Braun can talk to you most knowledgeably about the very details of the, uh, where the Alberta legislation falls through. But this isn't uh, what I want to say to your audience is this is not a technical matter. This is a matter of enormous importance. Uh, we're all associated with the Center for Free Expression. And part of free expression is not only the right to say what you want to say, but the right for the public to hear and to know. And whistleblowers are one of our best sources of information that governments or corporations or others want to keep hidden from the public. And so whistleblower protection is just so important for the public to be able to know what's going on behind the scenes. uh, Things that, that could have disastrous consequences if they don't come to light and if people know that they can lose their jobs and they can suffer reprisals that they can be put into real trouble for acting in the public interest for speaking out and sharing with the public things that they found out and aren't being addressed then we're in big trouble so this legislation is so important and as you were quoting from David's wonderful op-ed in last Saturday's Edmonton Journal uh the Alberta legislation is worse than useless. It doesn't need to be repaired. It needs to be replaced. It can't be reformed. It's so deeply flawed that what we need is a new piece of legislation to protect Albertans. And just so Albertans don't feel badly, most of the whistleblower protection uh, uh, laws across the country are as bad. Uh, So we have a serious problem across Canada. But right now, your legislature has a statutory obligation to review the existing legislation in Alberta. And it's a wonderful opportunity for the province to get it right. Ian could tell you in in much greater detail Uh, more knowledgeably and competently than I could uh, about the the details of the Alberta legislation
0: well I I appreciate that and and Ian I'm looking forward to it because let me tell you that this is an engaged audience Um, but but we're also human beings and we have natural tendencies which is once we get into the weeds on policy talk sometimes our eyes glass over but but the fact of the matter is this is this is important to people for very real reasons and when you start talking about whistleblowers like yourself in past we start to recognize the Courage it takes in some cases the remarkable circumstances that have prompted people to cross this bridge to take this step. Ian, can you take us into the psyche of your typical whistleblower, or is that too difficult to do? Do you have to go case by case?
5: No, I think you can. For for genuine whistleblowers, people who are actually raising an issue of public interest concern, the motives are usually the same, which is just to bring up a problem at work and to try to get some sort of solution to fix it Uh, my my feeling is that most of them go in thinking that the system's going to work they believe that their bosses will protect them that the system will protect them unfortunately what they find out all too often is that the system as it's been developed has so many loopholes has so many pitfalls that they end up either falling through the cracks uh, being personally attacked and the issue may be addressed uh, quite often isn't but they certainly suffer
0: what can you can you tell us a bit about your circumstance back in the day what 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 prompted you to do what you did and and ultimately what the end result was what you learned from the process and what it accomplished
5: well i spoke out at uh, transport canada about uh, maritime security issues and for me, it was—it uh, was—it's really a case of I just didn't want to enable the behavior anymore. I was seeing the regulations being subverted. I was seeing uh, favoritism being played, both within the office and between stakeholders, such as between unions and industry, and that sort of thing, and just general non-enforcement of uh, the regulations. The organizational reaction was. Um, I would describe it as instinctive. It was instinctively negative and they just pulled out everything to make my life a living hell. That lasted for a few years. You know it cost me uh, it cost me my marriage at the time. Um, I an, ended up having to leave work. It's, it's exhausting. and I think the thing is for most whistleblowers is that it, it, it's not over quickly. It just drags out and wears you down the bad guys they have almost infinite resources but you're just on your own and eventually you have to make a choice do i keep fighting or do i just put this down and move on with my life
0: so uh, let me from from a lay person's perspective let me put this in front of the three of you and, and sort of get you to respond because the impression i get i i mean i've a letter here that was written uh it's signed by you uh david uh senior fellow center for free expression ryerson university you've written it to david chanson the chair of the standing committee on resource stewardship the alberta legislature building it's not a good letter um it's a letter that indicates that that you believe that that basically the commissioner in alberta is is making statements that are false or misleading including about your organization you say claims are being made with with no supporting evidence claims that defy your decades of experience and research it it doesn't sound like the the process is going very well here. Uh, So if I were to ask you, why should Albertans have confidence in the process? Why should Albertans have confidence that whistleblower legislation will improve in favor of the good guys here? Is there any reason for you to say that, that Albertans should, I mean, you're waving the red flag essentially.
3: Yeah, I think uh, whether Albertans have have confidence going forward really depends on the actions of the committee. Uh, I sympathize with the committee members because uh, as I said, they've been presented with two uh, completely incompatible uh, viewers of the world, one being ours and other being the commissioners. And they have to sort this out, and that's what the letter is all about. How are they going to figure out which view of the world is correct? Because only one of them can be. Uh, and at the at, uh, the moment, uh, as it stands, uh, the, uh, the commissioner is being asked to help them make that decision, which obviously is not appropriate. Uh, We believe that the commissioner should perhaps turn to an internationally respected outside body uh, to uh, comment on the two analyses of the law that have been done, ours and the commissioner's. David, what
0: would you you say is the most egregious uh, misrepresentation or false claim or position taken by the commissioner here? So Albertans (laughs) understand what's going on.
3: Well, the the really extraordinary one is they've claimed that no one, no whistleblower has been subject to reprisals, and as I said, that just flies in the face of logic, experience, research, the works. In fact, the commissioner's own reports indicate that no less than 55 whistleblowers have come to our office with formal complaints of reprisal. And what the commissioner claims is that uh, they've investigated every one of them and, and none of these were founded. None of these people have been allowed to go to the tribunal that could possibly give them a remedy, some kind of compensation for the reprisals. And, you know, this is an extraordinary claim. It's the kind of claim that should be backed up with Extraordinary evidence, but the evidence is absent, and the only evidence that exists, as I said, is that people are suffering reprisals.
4: Um, so, Ryan, could I could I just please add do? One yeah. Um, there are there are countries in the world with good whistleblower protection legislation, and when you have good whistleblower uh, protection legislation, you see the number of whistleblowers that would typically come out in a country the size of Canada or in a province the size of Alberta. Uh, so the claim that there hasn't been one that needed protection is just ludicrous. Um, and what's also worrying is the committee. I mean, the committee, David's right, has a really tough job in front of it. It's been presented with two quite opposite uh, analyses of, of what's happening in with the legislation. Uh, and as David was suggesting, what, what they've done to try to sort this out is they've asked the commissioner to report to them. I mean, it's asking one of the two teams in a football game when there's a dispute about a decision to be the referee, uh, which is really inappropriate. I mean, it's important for Albertans that this, the committee be able to get this right. A lot rests on it for ordinary Albertans. Um, And so that's what David's letter is about, is to suggest ways in which there are wonderful third parties they could bring in to uh, help them sort this out. So
0: when you talk about whistleblowers, typically it's an individual that that has I I would imagine and and correct me if I'm wrong, they've either experienced something or they see something happening around them. They don't believe that if they run it up what maybe the traditional channels in other words their supervisor otherwise that it would be uh, handled properly or effectively in some circumstances i would imagine because perhaps their supervisor is is complicit in what's happening i'm trying to think of like the the most obvious example of a whistle i'm I'm thinking of edward snowden i don't know maybe there are i mean there's probably hundreds or thousands throughout history but what i know with mr snowden uh, you know, some people think that he he's accomplished something incredibly important. Other people think he should be hanged for treason. So uh, it, it's not as though everybody always sees eye to eye with the whistleblower or the act of whistleblowing, right? I mean, you know, am I onto something?
3: Yeah, uh, Ryan. I think you know, Edward Snowden is an extraordinary whistleblower in, in every respect. It's very atypical. and you know, the issue for he's a hero or a bad guy. The real question is would you want to know what he revealed and when you ask people that the answer generally yeah we needed to know about that uh, your typical whistleblower is very different it's someone without his depth of knowledge and understanding of what's likely to happen to them and so they d- typically do take it up the line as you described through their management chain uh, believing that uh, along the line at some level they'll, they'll encounter someone who who wants to to get the problem fixed um and they, they simply are doing this because they see it as an extension of their their duties as a uh, their job um and then when things go wrong Only at that point did they perhaps realise that what they were doing was blowing the whistle and begin to look for for support and look at the laws and so on. So people are very often well into the process before they even think of themselves as whistleblowers or start looking at agencies like the the Commissioner or organisations like ours that can provide them with advice.
0: I've got some interesting comments here on our live chat. Scott, for example, says I don't like the term whistleblower. I think it frames people like snitches, uh, people who call out illegal actions are social heroes uh, at the cost of not doing so or, or, or as the cost of doing so uh, or not doing so is often very large. Um, you know, others are saying, I mean, there there's several of these comments. So let me just summarize people are saying they're not sure that they trust this government anyway gentlemen I don't think it's it's going to be news to you that this government has trust issues Uh, I'm talking about Alberta's uh, provincial government Um, so I'm not sure that people believe that this government would enact any legislation that would protect individuals from speaking out most especially against corporations or government Um, I don't get the sense that this government is the government that would do that Ian what should legislation look like what should Either a third party or the Alberta government. What should the conclusion look like that they should reach?
5: Well, the ultimate goal of any whistleblowing legislation is is first to correct or identify and correct the whatever wrongdoing or error occurred. And the second is to protect the whistleblower. The problem with the current legislation is is that it really really fails to protect the whistleblower. There's just so many loopholes. There's so many. Ways that organizations can attack the whistleblower that they're left exposed. There's no uh, requirement for the organization to protect them. There's, the whole process takes so long that inevitably the whistleblower will be ground down. There are some great laws out there that exist already. Um, places like Serbia even. Ireland has a great law. And what that does is it puts protecting the whistleblower first and foremost... And it also ensures that by protecting the whistleblower that the issue gets addressed. As long as the whistleblower survives, the issue can the issue will stay in the public uh, domain.
0: So ultimately, where do we go from here? I mean, you've 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 you know, you've participated, you've stated your case. There's a letter dated February 7th where, you, you know, you thank this committee uh, the Standing Committee on Resource Stewardship for the opportunity pre- to present, but you indicate, uh, as as mentioned, David, that you're completely unsatisfied uh, with the way that the process is going. Um, so, what happens from here? What should I mean? Here's here's the thing. This is an audience that's engaged, uh, and this is an audience that speaks out. And, and I'm going to give this audience credit uh, for doing a lot of work on a couple of important files in Alberta, including on the coal file. This audience can make noise when it needs to. Uh, what's the call to action here?
4: I mean, I think the first call to action, Ryan, is for people to understand the importance of the committee and uh, this government or future government getting it right and providing real protection so that problems that people see uh, and aren't being addressed can be brought to the public attention. You know, there is concern with the term whistleblowing. We haven't come up with a better one. What we're talking about is basically somebody's right to speak up when they see wrongdoing or something of concern that's going to hurt the public interest so that it can be addressed so first of all people have to be aware that this is an important issue for them and secondly um they need to make clear to members of the committee uh and the government that uh having how serious the problems are needs to find
0: james is cutting in James, I apologize. We're we're kind of losing you. You're cutting in and out out here.
4: Website cfe.ryerson.ca.
0: I'll tell you what I'll do, David. I'll get you to pick up from there. James, I I apologize, James. I'm stepping on your toes, but the 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 signals cutting in and out, so we can't hear what you're saying. But but David, he was he was pointing out there cfe.ryerson.ca. I'll ask you to issue the same call to action.
3: Yes, absolutely. We want to hear from people. Uh, If if you go to the CFE Ryerson website, cfe.ryerson.ca, you can find out about our centre. We're very keen to hear from people in Alberta who've had dealings with the commissioner who tried to use this whistleblowing system because we believe that uh, it's being misrepresented, how effective that is, and uh, we can publicise that information. And I'll just add that if you look at other countries, the only thing that has caused uh, governments to pass whistleblower protection is intense pressure from the public, often resulting... I think that um, the uh, the current situation with the virus is a very good example of a, a, a huge and difficult situation that's probably being handled rather badly in many places. And whistleblowers could help uh, make sure that things are done right.
0: I guarantee you, I guarantee you there are people that are watching. There's probably one person watching right now that is sitting on a powder keg. And Ian, you've walked a mile in those shoes and you've been to a position where you've weighed the pros and cons and you've tried to decide if it's worth it to speak out. And maybe you didn't even know at the time that you might you might pay for it with your marriage or you might encounter a horrific challenges. Maybe your name might be dragged through the mud or there would be reputational consequences. What, what would be your message to that, that one person maybe that's watching right now that's trying to decide whether or not they are going to blow the doors off an explosive story?
5: Oh, that's a tough one because everybody's circumstances is different, but yeah. uh, and it depends very much on the seriousness of the problem. I mean, if life is on the line, I would say that you, you know you really have a moral obligation to speak up. The problem is you also have to protect yourself and you have to protect your family. So I would advise people to to get advice actually either from a lawyer or from uh, some some place like the Center for Free Expression, whistleblowing initiatives. That advice and support will take you a long way. You'll, you'll avoid the pitfalls a little more easily and you'll have that uh, social support along the way
0: well let me read a couple comments here and then there's i was wrapping here but there's a great question that we, we should get back to from an audience member uh, kim says i got in trouble uh during uh an aer alberta energy regulator uh another organization that a lot of albertans have trust issues with and for good reason kim says i got in trouble during an aer budget energy issue sharing errors i found it turns out my vice president was being shady and i inadvertently outed her uh i got my only career hr reprimand uh, that from kim uh, here's another one mark is watching in from utah he says you know my fam- my company uh my company actually has an anonymous reporting website uh to report any wrongdoing um interesting let me say as, as an aside uh i'll just plant this seed i'm not sure i trust anonymous surveys and websites within corporate structures um i've heard people that have theories about paying the price after they've said things and, and this is an interesting question here uh listener wonders in circumstances by the way shalane says another name for whistleblower could be light caster which i think is great angie wonders and we'll make this our last question angie wonders do we know if whistleblower protections effective ones in other countries have actually increased instances of whistleblowing and has it maybe led to an increase of whistleblowing where it maybe wasn't the right option? That's an interesting question from Angie, if one of you would like to take that on.
4: David,
3: um, I, I shouldn't hear the full question, uh, Ryan. I'm sorry you were cutting out.
0: Oh, that, that's a no problem, David. In other countries, ha, has has, uh, you know, robust whistleblower legislation led to increased instances of whistleblowing? And has it been a good thing?
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at other countries that have effective systems, there's a constant flow of people coming forward. Now, um, and if you just look around recently, you'll see some extraordinary examples, for example, in the States where uh, there's been dramatic revelations about how the, the virus has been handled about brought forward by people and they've uh, generally been successful. They've generally been able to influence the course of events dramatically. And there's no question that this is a good principle protection system helps protect the public every time. Uh,
0: gentlemen, really appreciate your availability on this and, and your good work on whistleblowing. Uh, you, you never know who you may have impacted or been speaking directly to this morning. And we're grateful for that uh, to Ian Braun, to David Hutton, to James Turk, thank you so much for joining us here on Real Talk.
4: Thank you, Ryan. Thank, thank
0: you, you. Uh, thank Real you. Talkers. I'm, I'm keeping an eye here. Uh, yeah. By the way, let me, let me clarify something. Some random guy says, "Looks like Real Talk needs a sponsor for better internet." It's not us, right? Can, can, can we? Can we can we clarify Uh, Sam Brooks is the technical producer of the show um, and you're running our numbers are we're good aren't we
1: our numbers are good yeah Um, I you know occasionally we get like zoom is going to zoom sometimes yeah and and it's not
0: we've all we've
1: all lived on the internet and we all know that like those you know the the apps sometimes fail us yeah what what I
0: want to say though what I want to make clear is that uh, thanks to your support on Patreon ding at ryanjesperson.com um i'm actually like i don't know the technical stuff but what i do know is we have like we have gigabit
1: that's that's a flex you can flex gigabit
0: gigabit yeah okay gigabit it's okay you can yeah. that, like it's it, something you can brag about i was i was going to say for people like me that don't really know what we're talking about we have like our internet's like like i told the guy on the phone we want ferrari fast and, yeah. and he said, we'll get you Ferrari fast. So we have Ferrari fast Internet. Uh, and then for those of you that know what you're talking about, Sam can clarify and give you like all the actual. So it ain't us. And it's not our Internet. Regardless, uh, really appreciate those three joining us. Um, this is uh, I'm, I'm curious to know. I'm curious to know how you feel about what you just heard. With regards to whistleblowers, and, and I haven't had a chance to look back on our live chat You know who's going to do that, by the way? Who's going to be all over our live chat is our Chase producer. And if you didn't hear yesterday and if you didn't see it on Twitter, we're very excited to have posted a job opening yesterday. It's open until Friday, February 26th. Uh, The competition is wide open uh, to anybody, really, that would like to be a part of this team. You can find the job description at ryanjesperson.com slash team. Or I have the listing posted uh, it's pinned right at the top of my Twitter profile when we get a Chase producer in here that individual is going to be all over the live chat all over social media fact-checking their job is going to be very dynamic and demanding and we're very excited to add that individual to the team whomever they may be Uh, so on the live chat though I'd be curious to know and we'll try to look back and get some um, you know comments here relating to whistleblower protection I was I was I was intrigued by Mark's comment where he said my company has an anonymous form to submit anonymously and i kind of went yeah i don't know about that like i've i've seen uh and this is anecdotal i have no evidence i have no proof but i've worked for big companies um i've worked for the biggest media companies in canada uh back in the day southam i've worked for post media i've worked for bell i've worked for bell globe media for rogers for chum and for chorus and uh you know vis-a-vis shaw so these are like all the major players And we would always we would often and and, and this is from company to company to company. And and you're probably the same way if you've worked for a big company. You know, you get these surveys that are like, this is an anonymous survey. yeah, And you're completing it from your desktop via your company email. And it's like, you know. Do you? I mean, I'm making these up, but like, do you respect your boss? Like, you know, are you happy? Would you recommend working here to somebody else? You know, do you feel protected if you were to raise an issue of concern? You know, you know, in some circumstances, the most recent ones I filled out because the company is rather sensitive right now. How do you feel about the company's approach to, to, to you know, to, to racial awareness or to equity or these types of things? And I would hear from colleagues anecdotally, one in particular that was laid off shortly after. And again, anecdotal, right? Someone's going to say, Justin's trying to make it sound like the person got fired because they did the. No, I'm not. It's just anecdotal. But people that were like, no, I'm not happy here. My boss is brutal, incompetent. They don't listen to me. They don't take equity seriously. You know, I'm a woman. I'm not treated well. I'm not respected. You know, these people have a way of. Well, finding their way out uh, against their will. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, do you really believe, and maybe Mark does. I don't even know the name of Mark's company. It's in Utah. I don't know where he works. I know he works in tech. Um, do you have, like, if you really honestly had a, a serious concern that would, that would shake the foundation of your company, Of your corporation that would call out senior leadership or even your immediate supervisor, would you really trust an anonymous corporate survey? I just don't think I could. We have Irshad Manji standing by, right? Ready to go. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do because we can do whatever we want uh, is we're going to skip our nine o'clock newscast, but I do want to mention a couple of our partners that make sure that we're on the air each and every morning. Kubi Energy is one of them. I had an awesome meeting, a Zoom meeting yesterday with Jake and Adam at Kubi. I am not at liberty to discuss what we got into, except to tell you that later this spring into the summer, we are rolling out a promotion on Real Talk that is going to grab your attention and not let go. That's right. They've dreamed up a contest that is incredibly exciting. Uh, They're in the business of solar installation. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, They operate out of head offices right here in Edmonton and Kamloops, BC, using only certified installers. They're Tesla certified. The entire company is, and they handle all your paperwork. It doesn't get any easier. If you have questions right now, is solar a good fit for you or not? No question is a dumb one. Trust me, I've asked the dumbest and they've assured me, that it's okay. You can find QB Energy online just under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. That's also where you'll find the team at Clean Air Club at cleanairclub.ca. You can directly reach their website. They're in the business of furnace filters, and they know that we forget. We're not lazy, we're just busy. And while well, it gets to a point where obviously you haven't changed your furnace filter for six months, and who's paying the price? You are. But let me take you on a bit of a guilt trip here. So is your family, your pets, your roommates. Maybe your tenants in the basement suite, you got to change that furnace filter so you can save money with Clean Air Club and breathe easy at cleanairclub.ca. All right, let's get into this. Uh, This is great. Uh, Coming up uh, February 18th, that's tomorrow. It's a virtual event uh, co-sponsored by the Edmonton Shift Lab, Edmonton Public Library, and the Peter Lougheed Leadership Center at the University of Alberta. It's an event, the speakers series, touching on moral courage in messy times. And the keynote speaker is a name well known uh, to Canadians. She's the founder of the Moral Courage College, the author of Don't Label Me, Irshad Manji. Welcome to Real Talk, and thanks for making time for us this morning. I think you might be on mute, my friend, but we'll get Uh, it. There you are.
2: There we go. There There you go. go.
0: Well done. Welcome Brian, to the show. I have
2: to tell you, I've been listening for the last few minutes. You are on
0: fire. <laughs> well, do you trust? Would, <laughs> would would you, would you trust? And this is this is like I want to be, be clear. This is purely anecdotal. Although I have to say, your shot. I've only been I'm only three months removed from a big corporation. I'm not being able to. I'm not used to being able to speak like this. But yeah. But do do you have a certain sort of inherent distrust of things like anonymous corporate surveys? Of course. Yeah.
2: To be blunt, to be blunt, Ryan, and I hate to admit this, but, you know, here you are already putting me on the psychotherapist (laughs) couch. Um, I have a distrust of a lot of information that we're all quote unquote given these days. Um, You know, there was a time not so long ago, right? When you could read uh, the major newspapers, watch, you know, major newscasts and think, okay, I've got the facts. But today, even those sources that are attributed, not anonymous, um, are spun. So here's the deal, friend. Everyone's got an agenda. That includes me. That includes you. So rather than take it on faith that something is true, if you really care about the issue, and I mean really care about it, engage.
0: I love it. I love it. And, and
2: you know, read all kinds of sources, including ones that disagree with one another. Connect some dots and reach your own conclusions.
0: We've we've been taught it's like you're reading our mail. We you know, we've been talking about this last week on the show. We had a couple of interviews um, with, with an elected official, an MLA here in Alberta by the name of Drew Barnes, who's who's joined this end the lockdown caucus with with names you'll recognize. Like uh, I'm I'm trying to think of like like Maxime Bernier is one of them and and other elected officials. They think it's time to end the lockdown. Uh, We talked to a retired lieutenant colonel uh, out of the Canadian Armed Forces that drew up Alberta's pandemic plan back in 2005. Um, He says we shouldn't be locked down at all. Uh, He says he's he's skeptical about masks and and people were like lighting their hair on fire. A lot of people were saying, why the hell would you have people like this on the show? Well, then we brought on a panel of physicians yesterday to comb through those interviews and say, well, here are our concerns and here are the important fact checks here. And, And I think... That instead of pretending like these politicians, the retired lieutenant colonel, like these voices, instead of pretending like they don't exist, uh, Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes we want to pick their brain, understand what makes them tick, fact, fact check them, and then at the end of the day, be able to rebut other people that say we shouldn't wear a mask. And you say, well, here's why an ICU doctor says that you should.
2: Ryan, again, this is what journalism is supposed to be about. And, you know, I thank you for for remembering that. Let me ask you something. Uh, people who write to complain that you've got these other voices on. What do they say? What what do they tell you about why they're complaining?
0: Oh, that's such a good question. Um, uh, well, I, I don't I mean, well, I mean, you know what? You know what the word that I that I really am, am and, and having a hard time with is the word platform. And uh, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people are saying, "Why is Jesperson platforming these voices? Why are we platforming mm. this type mm. of you know anti-science rhetoric?" I would say that's the common theme.
2: Fair enough, fair enough. Well, folks, for those who are wondering, and trust me, I'm as pro-science as it gets. This is why Jesperson platforms the anti-science people, precisely because he wants to know why they believe what they believe. He wants you to understand where they're coming from, if only so that you can then take what you hear from them. And when you're talking to an anti-science person, you can remember what these people on Jesperson's show said. You can then frame your own pro-science argument in a way that takes the anti-science bias into account. And that way, the person who would otherwise dig in his or her heels because you're pro-science and they're not, they may very well have a fighting shot at now hearing you because you have first heard them. Hmm. And guess what? This brings us actually to what moral courage means in a polarized time like ours. Moral courage means listening before labeling.
0: This is I, I feel like I do, it, it, it almost seems like too obvious of a segue right. to, to, to go from a panel talking about whistleblowing straight into a conversation about moral courage in messy times. Am I trying too hard to draw a line? No, here?
2: you are not. In fact, I'm the one who kind of gave you that that, <laughs> you know, that segue. Right. Because here's the deal. Right. That's what I'm going to be talking about on Thursday night. Um, as part of Thinking Speaker Series. Look, I, we live in times when it is the easiest thing in the world to lapse into an us-against-them paradigm. Now, I'm not here to say, why can't we all just get along? No, that is not my message. The reason we can't all just get along is that... Uh, We are wired as human beings to seek out threats, okay? And these days, a threat doesn't have to be mortal danger. A threat can be perceived as mere discomfort. So if someone is disagreeing with you, the brain will actually play a trick and say, whoa, defend yourself, i.e. get defensive because your existence is in danger. No, it's not. No, it's not. Your existence is not in danger just because you're being disagreed with. What is in danger is your ego. And so when it comes to moral courage, it's not just that we need to speak truth to power. That's the easy part of moral courage these days. Everyone's got something to speak truth to, right? No, it is speak truth to the power of your own ego. Tame your ego just long enough to listen to where other people are coming from. That doesn't mean by the way that you agree with them. Listening is not the same thing as agreeing with. Listening simply means you clear space for other people to explain where they're coming from. And guess what? This is the beauty of listening is that you pick up on their values. And if you're still convinced that your position is the right values into how you frame your position to them. So you see, it's not about us against them. It's about us and them and that paradigm means that you can actually collaborate on enduring solutions you don't have to have a nasty showdown every time someone disagrees with you.
0: the uh, our, our live chat uh, earshot right now is going nuts uh scott says i absolutely love that she turned the interview around on ryan patrick says i like when she puts <laughs> she, I, she says shane says yeah great job throw it back at jespo they say um air i said streya says i've never heard of this guest before and i love her uh <laughs> people are saying awesome guest this guest is awesome brandon says you know i wish i had the patience for for those people but i simply don't uh we'll come back to that in a second um others are comparing you by the way to dr jody carrington i'm not sure if you're familiar with the name she's a counseling psychologist she has been on the show she's a legend and people are saying that you are you are channeling her or maybe she channels you i don't know linda ray says earshad's been waking people up for quite some time her entire body of work is fierce Kenny says, I've just followed Earshad on Twitter. Thanks for bringing people like her to the front of the pack. Kim says, moral courage. She's speaking to my soul in a way I feel like I've never heard. Uh, And Chad says, I think this might be my favorite guest on Real Talk so far, which is pretty awesome. Now, let me ask you. Maybe he just
2: started listening yesterday. He may have just just
0: tuned in this morning. And yeah, (laughs) it may just be a shot at our previous panel. But um, let me ask you, Earshad, back to that, that comment from... From the listener that says, from Brandon, that says, I wish I had the patience for these people. I simply don't. Um, I was talking to a friend the other day and he said to me, he goes, hang on a second, because I was having this conversation with him. I was actually blowing off a little steam about my how I feel about the word platforming. I said to him, I said, do you remember when platforming used to be called talking to people? Um, right. and, and and he said, hang on a second, though. He's he's a great devil's advocate. And he said, so what are you, are you going to bring on like a neo-Nazi? Are you going to bring on the Grand Wizard of the KKK to pick their brain? I said, no. Like, obviously, we're going to draw the line somewhere. So so where do we draw the line? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Who who do we not hear out?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So look, uh, Jespo, you are in a position of being a public figure. I get why you couldn't justify, wouldn't justify and maybe shouldn't justify having a neo time. And, uh, you know, you don't want to be accused of legitimizing something so toxic. I get that. But let me tell you, in uh, in my book, Don't Label Me, How to Do Diversity Without Inflaming the Culture Wars, uh, that's my latest book. And in it, I tell the story of a certified white supremacist who uh, was outed on who was living in the same Um, dormitory room as him, not room, excuse me, same dormitory building as him, invited this white supremacist over for Shabbat, over, and didn't lecture him during dinner about his neo-Nazi views, but just started asking sincere questions. And over the course of a year, that neo-Nazi changed his mind. Changed his mind. Why? Because the. And just wanted to get to know where he was coming from. Racism views down the white supremacist's throat. The white supremacist uh, w- w- the white therefore could trust that he wasn't there just to be bullied or picked on or, you know, or, or punched around but instead was there because his dinner host really cared about him and his life. And that is when the emotional defenses of the white supremacist came down and that supremacist could finally hear something he was never capable of hearing before, which is why he needed to rethink his views. So when your viewer or listener says, I just don't have the patience for these people. Understand that you may not have the patience for them, but by uh, being so defensive in your own right, you are leaving change on the table. So you got, So just come clean, folks, come clean. Um, do you want to have that feel-good moment where you're thumping your chest saying, screw you, I'm right, you're wrong, and that's all there is to it? Because... You know, if that's all you want out of the encounter, say so. But if you actually want to make a difference, then the sincerity of that motivation will mean you do develop the patience. Uh,
0: I want to mention this a couple times. Uh, the event that you're, you're you're at the keynote at, uh, tomorrow night, people can check it out at epl.ca slash. Speakers dash series, and uh, you'll notice Real Talkers that we're putting that that web address up uh, under earshads and uh, the font that we're showing there. So you'll see it on your screen several times. But epl.ca slash speakers dash series. And if you missed it, you can always just hit me up on Twitter and ask me to send it to you. Uh, you, you we talk about shaming and Earshad, I wish I could remember uh, the, the the context of it, but I had a great conversation publicly on social media about six months ago, and mm-hmm. and I had I had kind of. In a, in, a, in a glib kind of a way uh, called out the dogs and, and sort of said you know you know wouldn't it wouldn't it be a shame if this person started to trend you know there, we, we sort of see this like you know you know if people found out like what if their employer found out how they feel mm-hmm. about this or what if their spouse found out as, as a matter of fact I mean I have an uncle Larry he, he actually is that's not a that's not a slur his name actually is Larry uh, and the guy is a complete prick and as a matter of fact <laughs> uh, I mean this guy is a blood relative and I, and I and I and I would love to relieve him of some of his dental assets. That's how much of a jerk this guy is. And the reason that I feel this way is because I came across. I mean, I'm, I'm saying I'm laughing because my family knows I actually want to bury this guy alive. So I laugh so I don't actually drive to his house and do it. Um, I found his profile on social media on Facebook a while ago. He is probably the nasty. I mean, he probably says nastier things about me than anybody else. This is a guy I have dined around the Thanksgiving Table with before and I Uncovered this slime balls Facebook account and saw the stuff he Was writing about his own nephew and You know what I did you know what I did I Wrote a long letter to my aunt to his wife because i thought if there's one way i can make your life miserable uncle larry it's going to be on your home front where you're going to deal with your wife julie and you can deal with her time and t- i want to name his wife just in case there's any confusion about which uncle larry i'm talking about i'm talking about this one okay now that we've had some fun serious business shaming yay or nay hands down nay thought so and here's why here's why here's why
2: Shaming doesn't work. Shaming leads to people feeling humiliated. And you know what happens when people feel humiliated, Brian? A lot of the time, they get radicalized. So not only do they become more entrenched in the very views that you're shaming them about, but then they feel the need to weaponize that feeling of humiliation. And what I find fascinating is that here in the United States, uh, I'm joining you from New York City, um, this is exactly what's happening um, on both the left and the right, is that you know, loud mouths from each of those sides are uh, hurling uh, labels and epithets, and um, and you know, insinuation, innuendo, and insults at one another, as if that's gonna make any kind of a difference. The only difference it makes, let's be honest, speaking of agendas like we were, you know doing earlier on in this combo, the only difference it makes is that they get more followers. It doesn't change the minds of the people whom they're tearing apart and 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 maybe, again, Let's get brutally honest, folks, okay? If you don't care about changing minds, say so. Say so, because I need to know what your game is, right? But if you do care about changing minds and you shame people for not having changed their mind, you're only making the problem worse. And you're outing yourself as the equivalent, the moral equivalent, of the very people you hate. How do you like them apples?
0: Well, you're giving me too much to think about. Um, on God our, forbid. Uh, I know, I know. I've already got, you don't know. Don't go there. <laughs> I've got, pe- people are writing now, people are chiming in saying, you, you feel better now, Ryan? Uh, other people are saying, well, don't worry, we all have an Uncle Larry. But but there are some serious, I mean, there's some great, I mean, how about this from Kvich, who says, um, yeah, But it's exhausting for people who are who are being actually bullied or mistreated, you know, racism or otherwise to have to find the space and the time and the patience to coddle these people.
2: Yeah, listen, dude, I am not saying that if you are, you know, bullied, that you then make the space within your mind and your heart to engage people in, quote, rational dialogue. No, bullying is not okay. Now, let me ask you, though, the person who said this, how do you define bullying? If by bullying you mean that uh, you are being made to feel like you're less than human, that I get. And you have every right to say not play in this game and walk away. But that you are being disagreed with, sorry, that's not bullying. That's living in a democracy. So we've also got to take some responsibility on ourselves to figure out, you know, is this a situation where my ego is out of and I'm fragile and I can't handle it? Or is this really a time when i need to walk away uh because if i don't i'm gonna relieve someone of their dental assets
0: (laughs) i'm a little surprised i said that but uh very eloquent it was eloquent and uh and i don't take it back um you i was i'm taking a look at your book uh your most recent one and there's an interest i mean you know everybody you know publicists or, or or publishers We'll send out the books to certain people and say, you know, would you provide a review here? For example, we'd, we'd love to hear your take on the book and maybe we'll even print it on the book. Well, on the cover that I saw, there's an endorsement from Chris Rock. And I, and I thought like that Chris Rock, uh, like like one of the most famous comedians in the world who calls your book genius. Um, why, why, why do you think Chris Rock cares about these ideas?
2: Uh, Ryan, I lost you there for about five seconds, yeah. but I think I know what you're asking. Why does why Chris Rock? He, care? Yeah, why, why does, does he, he care, care about your book? Yeah, yeah, because this book, among other things, is a defense of free expression. Hmm. Chris Rock is in the business of free expression, and he has said publicly that he will no longer appear on university campuses with his shows because, you know, every second thing that comes out of his mouth, he is told that, you know, he is uh, triggering uh, people. Um, and his whole point is, look, uh, again, how can you live in a democratic society if You know, you're going to sort of walk around looking to be offended, right? This is what living in a democracy is about. And by the way, it's also what diversity is about, believe it or not. Diversity isn't just about skin color or gender or sexual orientation or religion. It's all of those things, but it's more. It's also about different viewpoints, And so uh, we've got to recognize that being offended and inadvertently giving offense is not a barrier to diversity, it's the price of diversity. Are we willing to accept that? And I say this mostly to my fellow liberals and progressives who of course are out there, you know, banging the drum for diversity. Are we willing to accept That diversity of viewpoint is part and parcel of diversity itself. Because if we're not, don't be surprised when skeptics of diversity say it's a sham Hmm. and a scam. It has no integrity.
0: I've been uh, I've been fascinated by it. And I mean, people can Google it. I think most people are aware of the Chicago principles and the letter that was sent to freshmen incoming class to say, you know, if you're used to shutting down debate and dialogue, this is not going to be the university for you. And and over the past, I don't know what it is, eight or 10 years or something like that. There's a lot of universities that have gone on board like Princeton and Purdue and others. Um, Earshot, I don't know if you're aware, but it, it really interesting with Alberta's United Conservative government when they came in, um, one of the priorities of the premier, Jason Kenney, was to say that, that we demand and, and he essentially held it over the head of the universities in a funding context, said we demand that there be uh, you know, equal voices presented, that people be able to speak freely on campuses because they perceive to be they perceive there to be an anti-conservative bias at these Mm -hmm. universities and the premier thought that if he could threaten them with funding that he may turn that tide. it's remarkable coming from a premier that tried to have his former jesuit college in san francisco stripped of its catholic designation Uh because because they were allowing pro-lifers to talk on campus it's it's i mean the hypocrisy abounds but are you concerned exactly to to bring this back to what chris rock told you you concerned about the state of university college campuses these days
2: yeah, of course I'm concerned about it. Again, as somebody who is speaking tomorrow night as part of Freedom to Read Week, uh, you know, in Canada, I am absolutely concerned not just about the state of free expression on university campuses, but frankly, in all of our institutions, including our companies, our workplaces, you know, our, our, our K-12 school system. Um, and, and, and let me just say real quick about politicians, getting involved in the so-called step away from the culture wars. Because here's the thing, any right-wing politician who gets involved and tries to threaten a university's A perceived anti-conservative bias is only politicizing this issue, and they are absolutely the wrong messengers, politicians. Because guess what? At the drop of a hat, they too will shut down anything that they don't want to hear. Okay, so you're right. Politicians are hypocrites. In a sense, they have to be in order to keep party unity, and that's why Jespo. Seriously, that's why. Politicians are not the right people to be having these discussions and dialogues. It is us, citizens, who need to be learning how to engage one another. By the way, in the United States, there's a very interesting phrase. You may or may not already know it, that uh, uh, politics is downstream from culture. Do you know what that means?
0: Uh, will you judge me? Will, will you judge me if I ask you to explain it?
2: <laughs> uh, not openly, I won't judge <laughs> okay, you. But okay. but but what that means is that politics is shaped by culture, and who is it that creates culture? People, ordinary people. So if we learn to develop the patience to engage with people whom we have profound disagreements with that will create a culture in which politicians then have no choice but to will demand it of them in order to get things done. This is why the ultimate solution lies with us. We- Ryan, I'm committed to uh, sort of transforming education. K to 12, so that young people begin to learn how to communicate with one another across lines of difference. If they don't, then nothing is going to change. The only wheel that moves will be the hamster wheel of dogma, with the cynicism that we already feel about democracy deepening and the noise amplifying.
0: You know, uh, at the end of uh, of every show, we task uh, Sam Brooks, our technical producer, to to pick about a two minute clip uh, that we'll push out on Twitter to 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 tease people, to hook them, to get them to watch the whole thing. And yeah, I have like ten circles. I don't know how this. the hell you're going to find just two minutes out of this interview, Sam. But but that's not my problem. Earshad, That's his problem. Um, that's you, right. You are. A New York Times bestselling author, you will be speaking virtually to Albertans tomorrow night at seven o'clock. Your new book, Don't Label Me, How to Do Diversity Without Inflaming the Culture Wars. Again, uh, people can find tickets to that or more information on the event at epl.ca slash speakers dash series. Earshot, I am already looking forward to your next appearance on this show. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We really appreciate it.
2: It was entirely my pleasure, and folks just remember this is a free event.
0: free event is what she's saying. Thanks very much, Irshad. That was a great conversation to have. Um, yeah, I love I love the, the you know the, the, the fact that the Chicago principles came up at the end, um, I actually think the Chicago principles are great. And uh, and I, I like I should probably have them all in front. I should probably have that letter from the dean uh, that first one. I think it was 2013 2014 that it first went out. We can fact check that. But uh, but it basically told incoming uh, for the fr- incoming freshman class like don't if you if you're here to try to shut down discussion and debate on things you don't agree with this. This ain't your university. It's not going to happen. You're going to be confronted with uh, opinions that are different than your own. It'll force you to think. Um, it, it, will put your, I love that you're shy to use the word dogma. It'll put your personal dogma through the ringer. And I've always thought we should challenge our beliefs, whether it's re- religion, politics, uh, economics, whatever. Like if you truly believe that your found your personal foundational principles are strong. Um, if you believe that you have poured, uh, a strong foundation upon which you will build your ideology, then Why would you be nervous to test it? Why would you be nervous to debate your position? Why would you be nervous to read something from an author that you might not agree with? Why would you be nervous to listen to interviews that may fly in the face of what you believe to be true? If your foundation is strong and you can challenge your beliefs with dissenting or different beliefs and emerge unscathed, in other words, still believing what you did before, Doesn't that strengthen your belief? Doesn't that strengthen your resolve? And if you listen to different opinions and ultimately end up changing your mind, isn't that a relief? Isn't that a good thing? It was back in in 2019, uh, just look this up quickly, that that Alberta's uh, premier uh, said that he would follow Ontario in asking the province's universities and colleges to conform to free speech guidelines the post secondary education section of the united conservative party's platform uh this was uh, well this was in in may of 2019 so th- this was written by madeline smith with star calgary uh i'm i'm citing her great reporting uh, it was the platform that said that the united conservative government would require the provinces university and, uh, universities and colleges to develop post and comply with free speech policies the conform the University of Chicago statement on principles of free expression, and they they, they sort of invoked the, the the threat of of funding. In other words, if if these universities want to keep receiving the funding, they do, and obviously that's a whole can of worms right now. If you want to talk about post secondary funding, but they said basically, you know, let me put it in layperson's language: if if you keep you know allowing all these over caffeinated lefties to talk, and you, and you don't allow the extreme you know right wing, you know, if, if if you don't allow Jordan Peterson to come on campus. You know, for example, um, that's a name that'll invoke a lot of passion with people. I know if you don't allow Jordan Peterson to come to campus, well, then maybe we won't fund you. That—that's kind of the cut to the chase version of what Premier's saying. I mean, the hilarious part about it is if you to cite another great report. If you look at Sprawl Calgary's deep dive into Jason Kenny's history, including at that Jesuit college in San Francisco, Jason Kenny did everything he could, including physical intimidation. Read the story. Read it for yourself to have dissenting opinions shut down. As a matter of fact, because that college that he didn't graduate from was allowing people with a pro-life perspective to set up a table on campus and talk to people, Jason Kenney tried to have the college's designation stripped. Like Jason Kenney will not allow his MLAs to do interviews with me, for example. So tell me more about your commitment to free speech, Premier. Tell me more about it. Love it. I mean, I just honestly can't help myself but laugh. Interviews like that one we just heard are made possible by teams that support us day in and day out. Teams like Westworld Computers that have been family owned for more than 40 years, including right here in our home city of Edmonton. Now, they know that, you know, everybody wants to get their hands on the brand new MacBook Pro, like the one we just picked up, that brand new iPad or the iMac that Sam's on. But sometimes budget gets in the way. That's a reality. That's life. It's why they're proud to also carry a deep lineup of refurbished, gently pre-owned gear from the big desktops all the way down to Apple Watches and iPhones they ensure that the original software is installed, they've cleaned them up, and they come with warranty. You can find that at Westworld Computers. Also want to let you know that the teams at Dairy Queen in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park wanted to say a huge thank you to real talkers that absolutely showed up en masse through the drive-thrus. And even by those delivery apps around the Valentine's Day holiday, they said that they went through more Valentine's Day cakes, including the Choco Cherry Love, than they ever thought that they would. It must have been Sam Brooks' ringing endorsement. I think that's what it was. Your Dairy Queen voiceovers really resonated with the real talkers, Sam. I don't know what you're talking about. See what I mean? see this guy choco cherry love well dairy queen of northwest edmonton and sherwood park want you to know that when you swing on by they appreciate your support and they love when you tell them that you're real talkers make sure you show them a little bit of love all right blake's ready to go yeah i want to get into this this is this is serious subject matter and sam can you show me his tweet from yesterday this was i mean this is a story that absolutely infuriated people it's a heartbreaking story as well uh The city of Edmonton, uh, by way of Edmonton, police officers booted a number of houseless individuals into minus 30 degree frigid cold because they were seeking shelter in a transit station. And I think to say that people in the city are enraged uh, would be an understatement. Blake, yesterday, I saw this tweet and immediately invited him on the show. He said, you know, my cousin passed away living on the streets of Edmonton last year. I knew him growing up as a jokester, a, a fisherman, a proud Métis. But due to intergenerational trauma, he says uh, he was also a drug addict and he was houseless. Uh, I want to see real recognition, says Blake, and support for our relatives in the streets. It's time we listen. We need to hear their voices. Listen to the stories of the people. It's often those facing the problem who have the right solutions. We've been looking forward to welcoming Blake to the program for quite some time. Uh, he's director of public and national affairs with the, the, the Métis Settlements uh, General Counsel. Uh, welcome to the show, my man, and thank you for making time for us this morning. Uh, Blake, Sam, we'll maybe wait until he's ready to go here. He's obviously frozen. This, is, this has been a wild morning for Internet connections. It's not um, been a fun time. Blake, can you him. hear me?
6: Are you good to go? Oh, I hear you now. Can you okay. Hear me,
0: yeah, I can hear you. We're having we're the, the gremlins are working overtime today with regards to our Wi-Fi connections, but don't sweat it. I'm so grateful that you're here. Your tweet yesterday, um, I haven't confirmed with you, so I don't know for a fact, but I have to assume it was in reference to what we saw from Edmonton police officers over the weekend.
6: Yeah, no, Ryan, I think that's it's definitely a big trigger, I think, for not only just myself, but many folks with relatives um, who, who are houseless on the streets of our city, um, but also facing poverty. You know, sometimes houselessness doesn't just look like folks, uh, living on the streets. Sometimes that's our relatives going house to house to house and and then cycling through them. Um, can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Okay. Awesome. I just wanted to check because it's all frozen on my end, I think, but, um, yeah. So my cousin Pierre, um, passed away, uh, in uh, early November last year in 2020, um, so unfortunately, we were unable to actually um, be with our whole family together during our mourning process. So it's been a, kind of like an extended uh, morning, And this is, I think, an opportunity, especially talking with my my family about it and his close um, brothers and sisters and my aunts and uncles, um, something that is just always shoved under the rug. You know, these kinds of folks and these kinds of issues, um, once they pass away, they're almost forgotten about
0: this is uh the story itself and, and I I really want to focus on Pierre and Pierre's life and, and and I want to I think sometimes I want to ask you let me just cut straight to this. I've noticed that more and more people are advocating for the use of the phrase houseless as opposed to homeless. Mm-hmm. And 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 part of me wonders if this is, is the beginning stages of recognition that we oftentimes refer to individuals. You know, if whether Edmonton has twenty five hundred or three thousand or five thousand or more homeless individuals so to speak we say our city's homeless even when even when we're advocating for these people we'll say let's go Mm -hmm. help let's go help the homeless but I wonder how many people that that saw your cousin on the street over the past number of years knew that his name was Pierre Mm -hmm. for example
6: yeah there's just the human quality is always missing there and I think that's something that our house this community can teach us as a society as folks who live in you know, homes as folks who have food whenever we want, as people we can access clean water whenever we want. These are kinds of the, the privileges that we take for granted. But there's also a cost to them. There's a, a social kind of cost. And what we mean by houselessness, particularly in the indigenous sense or the Métis sense, is these people are at home. Their home is the land that we all are uh, we all um, have our lives on. You know, it's something that's always provided for our people. And it's uh, it's a place that of safety. And my cousin Pierre, for example, he was uh, in love uh, and in tune with the land. Uh, it's one of his one of his greatest memories and greatest qualities about him is ever since he was a boy, ever since he was little, um, each and every one of my family members could remember he was a bushman. You know, he could live off the land no problem. He always found more safety, more camaraderie, more. I guess. The, the, the things that make us human when he was uh, in his element in the bush. And I think that's the kind of reframing we need as a society is that we always say, well, we need to help them. We need to help them. We have this savior attitude about, um, about houseless people, but in many ways they have so much to contribute to our society, to saving us um, and how we understand wealth, how we understand uh, the importance of our humanity and how we look at other people. And Pierre always reminded us, Especially when we would say, Pierre, can you, you know, we want to help you. We want to help you. Um, We have, you know, you can stay with any one of us. Um, It was a. It was in some ways, he couldn't. He couldn't choose that life. He felt. Peasant Doris shared with, at settlement of Fishing Lake in the North.
0: Blake, we're we're running into some issues here with the connection.
6: Um, Support teams in the rural areas. And unfortunately, he just couldn't get used to that support. Um, He even, for example, um, went through phases in his life where even though he was at home, he would go outside in the middle of the night because of whatever he was going through. And he would sleep behind one of our sheds or in the shed. um, And he wouldn't uh, feel comfortable sleeping on a bed, for example. And he said, well, I just remember all my friends. My community in Edmonton, hmm. the people that I I live with, um, they're really cold right now, or they're 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 going through something. And I, the community I love, and so he would always feel drawn back to that community, uh, the people here in Edmonton. And I just I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Judith Gale. And Judith Gale's um, a fantastic advocate. She's a warrior. She's a champion on our streets. She's a champion for our relatives. She's a champion for the people of our city in a real way. Um, I feel safe knowing that. Pierre you know probably knew Judith. she, pro- she probably helped Pierre many, many times um, as, as an older gentleman living on the streets. Um, and he found comfort in his community. And so the savior attitude we have is, I think something I want to really address.' It's, it's this oddness that they have we have to help them. and it takes away their dignity. Uh, my, my cousin Pierre's dignity of being someone who um, was able to survive off the, off that circumstance. Um, and we don't ever recognize that resilience but it's the systems that get them there that uh, we found out later on in life that he could never escape. Um, he was someone who came from a rural area and this is so common for indigenous people who end up on our streets in Edmonton, which is overwhelmingly indigenous uh, on our streets is they often enter the streets by way of, of uh, the remand center actually. So when they get into custody for something really minor often, something like uh, they call it food fraud. So when they go into a restaurant, and they try to get some food and they have no money. They call, the, they call the police. The city police show up and they say, oh, you know, you, you didn't pay this. Uh, we're going to put you in the remand. Then they go through processing in the remand center. And then they're sitting there in this cave, this huge cell of 50 people waiting to get processed for just having to find food for themselves. And then they're lucky sometimes if they even get a cell. Sometimes they don't. And they have to stay in the holding area for a very long time just to be re-released back onto the streets, hungry again, um, and then to be picked up over and over. And all of a sudden they have this mark on their record and they can never uh, get back up. And so our society is framed so differently where we think that, for example, social housing is the only solution. That's a great solution. It's a goal of ours, but it's not the only solution. We have to find ways to um, give families and those who are relatives of the people on the streets the dignity to know that they also have the solutions in this and they should be part of the conversation. They're stakeholders in their own future. They're stakeholders in their own reality. They're citizens of this city and they have a voice. Um, You know, I see in many ways um, Judith being almost the only comments that I really resonated with um, over the last few days about this stuff. Uh, Judith, for example, says, leave community to help community um, because we know best. And that's so true. Um, But there's also, you know, so many organizations that do this every single day in our city. Um, and where, where is the daily support from the city council with those groups? Um, they should be meeting with the city council today talking about what they need right now. You know, this not just during emergency weather situations but uh, all the time where we can look at ways to get that support. For example, if they do enter the remand center, where is the support? And I heard the mayor say, there's gonna be a, an inquiry um, about this stuff. But he also has this platform of saying, you know, we're going to end homelessness in 10 years. I remember when I first started my role working on behalf of Métis in Alberta, um, meeting with the city, the city on this anti-poverty strategy. And they said it's going to be solved in 10 years. We're in year 11 uh, of that. So what I'd like to see in this inquiry is some special attention to this strategy and if it's sufficient or where it's going or where the gaps are.
0: Yeah, I'm, uh, are we, uh, this is a weird thing to ask you live, Sam.
1: Are we still on YouTube? It looks, we are, we dropped for a bit. Um, it's been a very strange internet okay, connection. Just, day, we are on we YouTube. Are, we are on YouTube live now. Yes,
0: we okay, are. Okay, good. Uh, Blake, my apologies oh, for that. No, I missed it. No, we're, we're uh, th- this has just been an absolutely wild day with regards to tech. Um, I uh, I just, you know, to me, I know that the mayor on this story, um, you know, has has called this heartbreaking and frustrating to watch. If people, I mean, I haven't really spelled out what happened here, but it's it's absolutely despicable. Um, Sunday evening around eight o'clock, it was minus thirty three outside, minus thirty three, and uh, Edmonton police officers showed up to Edmonton Central LRT station, a train station where where people, um, including Judith Gale, who you talked about, Blake, who you referenced, people were there with the Bear Clan Patrol. Um, with Edmonton Beaver Hills House uh, providing food, sandwiches um, to to unhoused individuals. Uh, Per Gail's testimony and her comments to reporters, I'm citing Lauren Boothby's report with the Edmonton Journal, um, police officers actually pulled soup and sandwiches out of people's hands and kicked them out into the cold. It's being described as dehumanizing, an act of terror, Uh, says this person they could have died, and that is absolutely accurate. Now there's 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 room for talk about ending homelessness and this, that, and the other. We just talked to Don Iveson about that about two weeks ago. Um I'm I'm I have my own thoughts on that. But I, you know, I just wonder, like to me, at a very basic level, you know, people are saying, oh yeah, well the police, the two police officers met with Ms. Gale on Tuesday afternoon and they apologized and they acknowledged they didn't act properly. Like who the hell I heard one of these individuals didn't even have a shoe on who in the hell would find it within themselves to kick somebody. And, and I've got a city councilor sending me messages right now, and, and I'm not going to name them because, you know, but, but they're saying, hey, you know, it's actually the, the transit drivers union has some stipulations here that actually if the city allows, you know, homeless people to, to take shelter in transit stations, the transit drivers have it in their contract that they can just walk off the job. It's a safety issue and this, that and the other. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, these are human beings. Mm-hmm. Human beings. And, like, the police mm-hmm. officer that's going to apologize, I don't buy that. You know? And people are going to say, not all police. And this, yeah, fair enough. Fine. But I just, it makes me really, really nervous that an individual that would find it in themselves, and you're going to say, what would you do, Ryan, if you were a police officer? Quite frankly, if my order was to get him out of the transit station, I'd probably defy the order. And I'm going to get some smart ass saying, well, you'd be on suspension. I don't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about kicking people out into minus 33, regardless of who they are. Uh, Mm -hmm. That is that is a character flaw at the deepest level. And that concerns me, Blake. And I suspect I'm preaching Mm -hmm. to the choir here. You know, I'm thinking thinking of that that rage against the machine lyric, right? Like some of those that work forces. That's what I'm thinking of right now.
6: Mm -hmm. Well, the, the frustrating part is that. In many ways, you you hit the nail on the head in terms of it's a safety issue. I hear this all the time. There's gonna be a safety issue with these people. There's so much stigma. These people don't even know them. How can you judge someone by just looking at them um, at, at a bus stop or an LRT station and say, you're unsafe. Um, this, these are public spaces. These are people whose uh, lands we've called home for thousands of years. And it just hits up the psychological root of Canadians in some in some ways is that it's like clearing the plains and it reinforces in so many ways that indigenous people or people who are living in poverty are just not wanted in our society. And we have the right to just ignore them. We have the right to call the police on them. We have the right to um, disavow them from public spaces. And what Judith did uh, in standing up for those folks um, that day, was she demonstrated what we should all be doing. Everyone in that space should have said, what are you folks doing? Are you trying to kick these people out? put them into the weather, put them into uh, uh, death situations. Um, there's a lack of humanity and the institutionalized racism that the, the city police are leaning on is that it was a safety issue or it was their orders. Their job is to serve and protect. And Judah said that. And did they serve and protect? No. So we need a, a serious uh, mirror check on where uh, the, our, our, how our dollars are spent. On how the police are actually making these decisions and why, why, who made that decision that the police should remove them from this space? Um, especially considering the bear clan's been doing this for months now. They've been doing it at that at Central LRT station for months now, and there was no no uh, no problem, and folks were getting help. And then all of a sudden, uh, this one time, the police get sent, and it's their way or the highway. There was no consultation with the 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 community. There was no consultation with. Um, anyone and someone has to be held responsible. Somebody put those folks in a death situation.
0: Yeah, and we need to get down to the bottom of that. But Blake, the you, stigma's real. You say, you say we need to know why? We know why. It's racism. Uh, I'm gonna yep. I'm gonna say it. it's racism. People can Google Starlight Tours. People can Google like yep. we know why. Right? We know why. Exactly. Yeah, we know why. It's racism is just is just one part of it. But there's also
6: classism. You know, there's so many layers. There's lenses on this issue where um where you know folks believe that money is worth more than humans and this is an area where i really do believe that our house this community is champions and they know what good humanity looks like um you know i spend so much time looking for pierre in the last year bumping into him here and there the people i've always met him with his community um the, his friends they're the nicest people i've ever met they're the safest people I've ever met. Have I? Have they ever thrown a racial slur at me? No, never. Has Has you know, um, lawyers, people who are supposed to be well off in our society, do they? Yeah. So I really question what's the real problem here. It's not so much the houseless community. The community there is fine. They're surviving. They're resilient, and they just need a hand up. Uh, and we need to really check ourselves and think about what the problem is with the people around the host. The houseless community is how are we interacting with them, and how are we treating them or how are we indignifying them um, by treating them like victims all the time. When in many ways, they see the lack of humanity we have and we need to call ourselves to that action and say, we need to get back to being real humans here and seeing people in need and understanding that we're allowed to make choices based on that need. And we don't need to enforce this re- removal policy that the city um, the city police just keep barking up. Um, you know, oh, sorry is not enough. Uh, I stand with Judith and and the Bear Clan uh, patrol folks and, and and demanding a public apology um, as well. You know we need someone to say this is wrong and someone to say why. Just like you said, uh, Ryan, someone needs to say it. Stand on a podium and say this was racism. We failed as a society, and here's how we're going to actually make it better. Um, we have a lot way a lot more uh, distance to travel on this issue, and I really do think it it means bringing in those community stakeholders and hearing what they have to see say listening to their frustrations because I'm frustrated because if my uncle didn't pass away uh, in November uh, my cousin uh, Pierre didn't pass away in November um, the cold weather could have taken them anytime now and people are concerned right now um, there's gonna be it's gonna be cold again it's not going to stop being cold and we need to figure this issue out yesterday people are, are or they're gonna they're gonna die this is not a their issue thing this is a our issue thing uh, everyone in the city is responsible for what happened.
0: Blake Desjardins is uh, the director of public and national affairs with the Métis Settlements General Council. Um, Thrilled that we were able to get you on the show today. Uh, I know that you shuffled some of your morning around to accommodate us, which we greatly appreciate, and we'll look forward to talking to you again, Blake. Thank you for your advocacy, and if I may say, uh, though I never met him, I know for a fact that you have made your cousin Pierre very proud today, and you have honored his memory, and I thank you for that.
6: Thanks so much, Ryan, and on behalf of my family. Yeah, and uh, we say thanks so much for the opportunity and remembering Pierre for who he was. Um, he was a kind man. He was a jokester. Uh, he was someone who made up the great, a great part of our city and a great part of our Métis community. And he deserves uh, that recognition. And thanks so much for for saying that because he's a, a great man who will be missed.
0: Hi, hi, Blake. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you again soon. You can have a scope in a while. Um. Real talkers are, are chiming in on this. I, you know, he's Blake is, uh, obviously very well spoken, very articulate, and he's being diplomatic and he's saying, I'm frustrated. I'm pissed. I don't know about you. Um, like to give you a sense of, you know, if you're, if you're watching, you may be, you know, watching this or listening to this podcast later from New Zealand or Vancouver Island or, uh, you know, somewhere where, where maybe you're wearing flip flops today, but where we live, uh, in Edmonton, Alberta, we're talking about in minus 33. I mean, uh, You know, we didn't walk our dogs this weekend and they have coats. Uh, Our dogs have coats like I'm not talking like they have thick fur. I'm talking they have actual coats that are fancier than my coat, quite frankly, but that's a whole other issue for another day. Um, We didn't walk them with their coats on because it was too cold. Okay, our dogs. Edmonton police officers, and I bet you that there are Edmonton police officers that are going to hear this. I hope that you write the show, talk at ryanjesperson.com. I hope you tell me how appalled you are. I hope you tell me how disgusted you are. I mean, we talked about whistleblowers earlier. I would love to hear, I would love to see a little whistleblowing on what goes on within police departments. You know, the city of Edmonton is not alone here. The city of Saskatoon, police departments in Saskatchewan have real problems. Racism is a problem uh, in the context of policing. Now, this is I don't even know why I have to qualify this. Maybe I don't, but I'm just going to say I know people are going to flip out and, and, you know, oh, police officers, you don't even know it. They, they go to work every day. They never know it. And it's true. You know, Calgary police officer, you know, dragged under a vehicle and killed on New Year's Eve. Uh, We recognize that family is mourning. We recognize he gave his life in the line of duty. Daniel Woodall, the constable in Edmonton, shot through the door, uh, executing a warrant as part of the hate crimes unit, doing incredibly important work. Daniel Woodall, I know, was proud of the work he was doing in the anti-hate network. This is not an attack on police, but policing has been rotten to the core. And I would maybe say globally, but at least in North America for a long time. Can you call up the video from Chinook Center? You know exactly the one I'm talking about. Let me, let me show you an example. Let me, let me show you kind of the dichotomy here with regards to what police officers in Alberta were up to over the weekend. OK, so it's 33 degrees below zero, which is cold. Cold. Like minus twenty is cold. Minus thirty three is 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 like arctic, like tundra, like freezing. Like you're out of ice cubes. Put ice outside, and five minutes later, you got ice cubes. Like that's kind of how cold it is. So Edmonton police officers are going into a transit center. Like who gives a shit that there are people taking shelter in the tra- Who cares? You know, as we're all here in our, like in front of our oh, like it's cold outside. I guess we better turn up the natural gas fireplace, right? That's our reality. Oh, better stay in the Uggs sandals. And okay, well, I guess we'll go to this now. So so here's what's going on in Calgary. Hey, bro, to the anti-masker, to the people defying public health orders. To the dozens and dozens of people that showed up without masks on, masks shoulder to shoulder, endangering people's health in Calgary. What's up, bro? Handshake, hug. Hey, yeah, everybody, hands up. Yeah, the cop. Yeah, what's up? What's up, everybody? Thanks. He kind of puffing out his chest, feeling pretty good about himself, making friends with all these jerks. Right? You want to defy public health orders? You want to endanger everybody's life? You want to show up without a mask? You want to get people sick? The blues got your back. You want to try to stay alive in minus 33? You don't have shoes. You don't have resources. You sure as hell don't have a place to go. You're hungry. You're beaten down. It's temperatures like these have been in place for 2 weeks straight. You've been fighting to survive. You finally find a tra- an all concrete transit station. We're not talking about people that are taking shelter in the lobby of the Fairmont. We're talking about people that are in the transit center because they're trying to stay alive. And our police officers have nothing better to do but to go in and flush them all out, to take the sandwiches out of their hand. I'm getting more and more upset the longer that I talk about this. Damn straight the police officers are gonna meet up with community activists and apologize. That's the least they should do. Well, if they're just following orders, who gave the order? Put that person on suspension. You know? Edmonton's police chief, and yes, we'll put in an interview request with Dale McPhee. Yes, Edmonton's police chief needs to. There needs to, there must be a public apology. How can you accept? The fact I'm, I, I'm I'm I think this the show's going to end early today because I am I'm shaking. The more I think about this, I am so fucking angry about this. How dare you? These are human beings. I don't know. I'm not even I, you know what? Honestly, guys. I love you guys. It's been a frustrating morning for us. The the powerful guests that we've had interrupted time and time and time again. I, I almost feel like the universe has been trying to interrupt these conversations today. The Wi-Fi has been lousy on all three of our segments. Our YouTube channel dropped out. We've got a few of you back now, not many. Want to let you know the podcast is still rolling. So if you're listening to us on the podcast, you're going to hear this whole thing. I almost feel... Like these important conversations we're having about whistleblowing and moral courage and treating the houseless like humans. Like the universe has been trying to stop these conversations today, and we will not be stopped. So, I'll tell you what I'm going to do because I am all kinds of worked up right now. I'm going to thank a few sponsors and we're going to sign off. All right. And I'm going to tell you what I hope that you. Make your way. Th- I don't even know how I'm going to do sponsor reads right now. Make your way through today with this type of attitude. Hell no. You know, I, I, I find myself in in such a tough position because the other day, two police officers are driving through our neighborhood and, and our little guy gets super excited. I said, why? Police officers. And he waves at them and they, they do their thing. They hit the lights. They whoop, whoop. And he just was delighted. And we know that if you're ever in trouble, little guy, you can go to the police officers. If you're ever in trouble, you call 911. We've showed him how to call 911 on our phones and the police will be here to help. And he's five. So I haven't yet talked to him about what it's like to grow up upper middle class, privileged, and white. What do you think the conversation's like on, on on a First Nations reserve? What do you think the conversation's like in the inner city? You know, when they see that cruiser come through. Oh, Ryan, you don't know what the, what it's like to be a police officer in, in Mascouche. You have no idea. Yeah, you're right, I don't. You're right, I don't. But if you're not cut out to be able to deal with that, maybe you should find a different occupation because if the stress of your job or if the deep rooted racism that runs through your veins is putting you in a position where your heart is so cold that you're taking people from a humble circumstance of survival, a slightly heated concrete LRT station and kicking them out into minus 33 without shoes on and hungry. What do you even say to that? These are people with badges and guns. These are people. I mean, I just, I can't be alone on this. So the next time that you hear from a, a city councilor about why it's, you know, there's protocol and the transit drivers would walk off the job. You know, or the mayor, we're going to end homelessness in 10 or the prime minister. We're going to take homelessness seriously. Uh, Like how? We had this sort of double whammy panel on the show. I don't know if you remember this like two, three weeks ago, something like that. We talked about homelessness and ending it with six experts in the city. And even at the end of that. Great ideas. Lots of research, really smart people that are like really giving their lives to this. But at the end of like, you know what real talk like at the end of this, at the end of those conversations, did anybody feel like anything was actually going to change? Has anything changed? Is this despicable, deplorable, disgusting smear of an incident on Sunday night in Edmonton going to change anything or pretty soon when it's minus two and then it's plus five and then the tulips are up? Are we going to forget about it? because the houseless will now be back into the river valley and they'll set up their tents and they'll be conveniently away from everybody we don't have to deal you don't have to you know they're they're not gonna have that the the, the eyesore right Camp not peck a win by the ballpark we don't have to look at that anymore thank god what an what an aesthetic inconvenience to the city skyline i don't know man shame on all of us (laughs) who's the sponsor that wants to go first after that I know Chris. The most
1: primary Chris Labossiere.
0: Chris, that. Chris will be happy to will be happy to go first on this. Chris and his family own local waste, and for more than twenty five years, <laughs> this is for more than twenty five years they've been managing waste removal and recycling in the city of Edmonton as a family owned business. And they want your business. They love to talk trash, and if they want to. I mean, you want to get a bin behind your business right now. Maybe you want to renegotiate. You know, you're talking, you've been with the big garbage guys and you go, we can get a better deal. I guarantee you that local waste will find a way to earn your business because we're hearing from real talkers that say that's exactly been the case. You can find them online under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. That's also where you'll find the team from St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. The 2021 Jeep lineup is one for the ages, not just because they're bringing back that Grand Wagoneer, which I know a lot of people are excited about in the luxury SUV market, but also all the way down on the bang for buck file, the seven passenger Grand Cherokee is a beautiful rig. And then of course there's that Wrangler, the Rubicon, the Gladiator, and then the fuel efficient compass for all things Jeep. You won't find a better selection than you will at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. I was lucky enough to talk to the team from Friesen Brothers yesterday. Doug and the president of the company, he was actually touring their store in South Edmonton. They're getting set to open March 5th. He says to me, you are going to be blown away when you walk through these doors. They're doing kind of a soft open. They know there's there's not, it's not really the time for a big gathering, but the doors will be open March 5th and they encourage you to check it out. Friesen Brothers is proudly Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Wanted to remind you, the team at Park Power has a $70 incentive for you to bring your business to them whether it's your commercial or residential file they're in the business of electricity natural gas and internet maybe some of our guests could get a park power sponsorship for internet what do you think we could dangle that to guests coming up on the show it's not a bad idea yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you use the promo code 2021-realtalk at parkpower.ca they're going to give you 70 bucks off your first bill which is an absolutely great incentive there Eden Landscaping. We're grateful for their support here on the show. Eden uh right now wants to invite you to check out their website at landscapeedmonton.ca and start dreaming. Pretty soon before you know it, spring will be upon us, whether it's a retaining wall, whether it's planters or whether it's a complete overhaul of your outdoor space regardless of your budget they want to work with you they can use zoom and google earth now to get the ball rolling and then ultimately make your dream a reality again at ryan under the sponsors link you'll find them and that's also where you'll find alta moving and storage it's almost the season it's almost time to get moving so you might as well put the pieces in place now alta moving and storage has these pod style containers that make moving easy and they take the stress away they can provide laborers to do all the heavy lifting or if you want to do it yourself they can accommodate that too and of course if there's a transition time in between they have those long and short-term storage solutions they've got you covered real talkers at alta moving and storage you can find them under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com friends it's been one of those mornings we're grateful that you're here along for the ride if you missed a part of blake deserlay's interview remember you can catch it on our podcast make sure to subscribe rate us leave a comment and share that podcast with your friends coming up tomorrow on the show we've got a great one you won't want to miss including a look at beef can it actually be sustainable And of course, Black History Month, the roundtable coming up Friday at nine. In the meantime, check out RyanJesperson.com. We'll talk to you soon.